Hi, everybody. Welcome into another edition. This is Cross Functionality, the show connecting coaching, softball, baseball, male, female, hosted by former college baseball and softball players. Thank you very much for joining us today. Episode 30, talking about infusing confidence in hitters. We've got a lot to talk about today, as well as our main topic. And again, go back and listen in the archives. Last week, we talked about the mental side of hitting. We discussed visualization and how to assess things, post at bat, post games, go back and listen, Apple, Google, Spotify, or of course, watch the show, Softball Strength Academy YouTube page. I am Jim, and let me bring in Softball Strength Academy um, main coach. She's a renowned coach and softball national champion at the University of Alabama. Please welcome my friend, co-host, Cassie Riley Bosha. I don't, I don't think I got the work title right, but I got the the rest correct. It's completely fine. Thanks, Jim. I'm All is good head, today. Head coach. Head co- By the way, I got to tell you, um, I tried last week. We discussed the um, uh, concentration grids. Oh yes, and How'd you like a, them? they're right now uh, on they're on my laptop uh, downstairs in my house. There is a concentration grid that I did earlier in the week <laughs> that is currently up on my laptop. I really enjoyed the concentration grid. Now I thought originally that when I was done, you know, you, you, and you're, when you're tired, your eyes, you have the red blood vessels. I thought I was going to look in the mirror and see my, both my <laughs> eyes just burst with red blood vessels. It wasn't like that, but it was actually mm-hmm. very, very effective. So I do think that people should go ahead and try out the concentration grid. It may actually really help a lot. Help me. I thought it was really cool, but I want to give you some yeah. props for introducing that. Well, I, you know what? And I got that from uh, Brian Kane, who's a performance psychologist or psychiatrist, yeah, psychologist um, mm-hmm. for, baseball softball he's worked with so many different teams and I got that he had mentioned that one time and I think like you know you you hear a hundred thousands of different things in your lifetime but then also you hear something that sticks and really works for you and if it's something really works for you you hold on to it so um I actually I prefer to have it printed sometimes and just actually do pen to paper but when you don't have that like for instance I had an athlete on Thursday last week she had been working out five six days in a row she was super fatigued going into her hitting session. And I said, okay, well, we're going to do three minutes of a concentration grid. Then we're going to pause and hit for 10 swings, maybe. And then mm-hmm. we cycled through different, different levels of focus. And uh, she was like, wow, that was great. She's like, and I don't feel as, you know, her body just wasn't ready to, to take 200 swings that day. So that was a good alternative. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I recommend everybody try out the concentration grid and thank you for, for bringing that to our attention. I, I don't know. What do you think? Like twice, once, twice a week, pretty good i mean you know it'd be a good 10 a good 10 you can even do it on your phone too because again you can i mean if you don't want to print it out you can do it on your phone you can do it digitally it's easier that it could be easier that way so if you're you know Uh, the only time i end up finding myself doing it more is when i get competitive with myself where i'm like i'm gonna try to break this time i'm gonna try to do this you know and it's i'll use it more as a game (laughs) and then i'll find myself doing it more but when i'm using it to just like lock in for work that I'm about to do or something like that. It's yeah. I'll do it every now and then a couple times a week, maybe always competitive. You're wearing your <laughs> Alabama shirt today for those watching yeah. or Alabama sweatshirt. Yes. And, uh, I was at the, uh, last Saturday, actually I was, uh, what, what was the date? I don't remember the date now because we're, um, but I was, I was at the softball, um, whatever you want to call it. something invitational in Clearwater, uh, Florida. Pack, Clearwater. There invitational presented by evo shield it has some type of name like that <laughs> that's pretty that's i think that's exactly right actually and the venue was great it was a small venue it was a nice crowd watching i had a lot of fun one saturday watching a lot of softball um and it was a lot it was a lot of fun i gotta tell you uh, college softball was really something and then i watched the game on sunday 
and ESPN does a great job with their presentation, um, with their camera shots and everything, and the, getting the sound. And I was watching on Sunday, and I had a great time again watching Alabama beat Florida State, and mm. I was very impressed with the talent of these ladies, both offensively and defensively. Yeah, it is fun to watch. I, I played my first season was 2009 and the first college softball game of that entire season that was on ESPN was the first game of the Women's College World Series. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden the next year, super regionals and regionals. And then the year after that was all the tournaments and then every now and then like a big SEC matchup. And then all of a sudden in my senior year, we had a ton of SEC matchups, but still February softball being on TV wasn't a thing until maybe five, six years ago. And now you see like, that's, I mean, Hello. that's people's second year of the weekend. It's on ESPN Sunday night, 7.30 Eastern. Like, that's a, that's prime time. So yeah. that is just, it's very cool for our sport. But then it's also like, you know, you also think like these are 18, 19, 20, 21-year-olds that are having to perform. Hey, there's no, there's no welcome to your season. It's, it's let's go. Yeah. <laughs> Show up. Here's a, here's a top 10 matchup right away. Well, if there's some <laughs> girls who are getting the NIL deal or some kind mm-hmm. of money for the NIL deal. They're getting some good exposure right now. With being yes. On no, television. I mean, I, when NIL first came out and we've talked about this, I was so, ex, you know, I, I was weirded out at first. I was like, oh, but you want to play for the love of the game, the money. And then I was like, hang on, this is the only way females are going to get paid. This is going to happen sooner than it's going to happen for a big pro league to happen. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, situations like Alabama, if you ever end up, anyone gets to go to Tuscaloosa, Alabama, you're like, oh my gosh, there's now a softball player on a billboard. Oh my gosh, there's a cutout of her like at the local store. Like that in that town, you're famous as a softball player. UNC yeah. soccer, I'm sure has the same thing in Chapel Hill. They're famous in that town. Um, so they can make money from their fans in that town. And, and now's to, the yeah. time to do it. I'm trying to think of like, a good, who's a good lacrosse, Notre Dame lacrosse. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Uh, Syracuse, Maryland lacrosse is very good. Um, you know, even this will even help. I really do think guys in baseball, like you're going to have like, uh, like I'm trying to think like, let's say UNC baseball is very good. Virginia baseball, uh, South Carolina baseball. You might have a guy on the team that's like not going to really make it in the pros. He's shorter, but he's just got a ton of heart and the whole town loves him. He could probably make some money in college. More right. Than of course. Yeah. MLB deal, you know, get his face <laughs> on a billboard. You know, that's got to be, though, for like for athletes kind of overwhelming when they first get. I to have camp, to imagine. Campus, yeah, you know? for sure. I mean, there were everyone learns how to deal with money when you first come into it. And usually it's it's not till you're much later on or it's gradual. And the fact that, you know, you're young and it's it's happening all at once or even worse, you feel like it's a fleeting opportunity. It's like, yeah. well, if I don't take advantage of this now, I'll, I'll never be able to. Then all of a sudden there's a lot of stress that gets added to it, I think. Yeah, yeah. I, I think, you know, I talked off air too about this before we were recording. The difference now between social media when we first started using it, because our generation really ushered it in. I mean, we were around when MySpace was a thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Crazy thing. <about> it. <laughs> um, and now social media plays a huge part in everything that we do in life and everything that's being broadcasted um, on ESPN, on this station, on this channel. And you mean it, within seconds, that picture, uh, I'm sorry, I, what was her name? The Montana Fouts. Montana Fouts. You can search her on Instagram and find her Instagram page within five seconds of seeing her pitch on television. And it's just for me, for the athletes, that's the kind of has to be, it has to be fun, but it's maybe a little bit overwhelming too, that part, that overwhelming part. 
that goes along with the NIL and then the social media part and then all these followers. And it's just everything is just so different nowadays. And it's just that instantaneous. I don't want to say gratification, but it's that instantaneous situation where you can just easily find out who these athletes are and yeah. you know and now they can Their easily dog make money. Is, what do they like to wear what's you know right. like all right. these things yeah it's it's very instantaneous yeah it is it is interesting and and i'm sure many places do this i just know about this because obviously my relationship to alabama but i remember nick saban used to do a finance class essentially to his uh, people on this football team who are about to potentially get drafted and just talking mm-hmm. about money and, and when it's smart to buy home when it's smart to do this when all these different things. And that was partially from his exposure in the NFL for the little bit of time he spent with the dolphins. And um, I thought that was such a cool thing that he does. They now have something like that. And they start doing that now from, mm-hmm. you know, freshman year, soft, like way, way sooner because of all this NIL stuff. Um, and then I think on top of it, you're going to start to see colleges. They're coming up with, I don't know if it's a separate corporation or a separate LLC or what exactly it is, but it's a separate program or company designed to, focus solely on NIL for their athletes Yeah. Uh, because I have to imagine the compliance that comes with it, right? Like if I ever had to work at a softball camp, I would go to compliance. I'd ask if it was okay. This is how much I'm getting paid. This is, mm-hmm. and they would have to okay it. And now I don't know, like, is it just like up in the air, you get to do whatever you want or do you, I'm sure you still have to operate within limitations or, or guidelines or something. Um, so I, it has to be a logistical. Oh yeah. Overall. I do. I do wonder if the NCAA, if this is their responsibility too, in, in creating for each, cam- I don't want to say each campus, but for each campus that has the NIL potential, creating some sort of financial, what do you want to call it, um, teaching course that athletes must take. Mm-hmm. It serves almost as a study hall, but they must take this to better understand and to better prepare themselves for the finances that are coming, could be coming their way with the NIL deal. And I mean, this is only going to get bigger in the future. Yeah, no, for sure. And so and it's, it's not going it is, away. <laughs> it is interesting because it's name, image and likeness. It's not right. your performance. Right. So it's it's you might have someone who just is like super funny on TikTok that plays for like a very no name school, but has this massive following because they just have a character and they, you know, people are attracted to them. Right. Like all of a sudden they have this potential to make money and it's not, they could be the worst player on the team, but they're yeah. hysterical. You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> Their yeah. name, image and likeness is there. So it is, <laughs> yeah. is going to be interesting. I'm so curious. I'm so curious what happens and, and just to watch all this play out and you just, you hope it doesn't, there's no ugly side to it as well. It's you hope it's just good and, and discovery and you go from there. You, um, so Pat Murphy picked up his what? 3000th win. <laughs> 1200th. 1200. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 1200 wins in 27 years. I see three. I don't know where I said. He'll keep going, though. He'll get 3,000. You know, he'll, he'll go. I, he'll, you know what? He doesn't have a family. He doesn't, no wife, no kids. I mean, he has his mom and his sisters that he obviously adores, but his life has been Alabama softball and it's, it's a testament to, you know, what he's built. So it's very cool. Well, he'll get to, he'll get to 3000. Why do I think 3000? But were you in the video by any chance? Uh, a couple of times. It? Well, they showed you so were, much okay. the championship team. So, you know. Okay. But did you do like there. a voiceover? Like a, hey, congrats or no? I didn't see So the, there were two athletes who did that voiceover. One was Olivia Gibson, who was okay. a senior in my class, uh, mm-hmm. four-year non-starter. And what was so cool is talk about like most selfless person on the planet, um, just like ultimate teammate. And you had people like – the main pitcher, the all Americans afterwards in, in the uh, commentaries being like, Hey, what, what do you, if you could pinpoint a reason why you guys won the national championship and they'd be like Olivia Gibson. And so that was cool that she got credit for it. And, you know, four year non-starter is, is hard to, to handle. 
And then the second partnership was Brittany Rogers, who was actually the mother okay. of my two goddaughters. She was a senior when I was a freshman. Um, there's a very iconic moment where she is a senior um, mm -hmm. and she gets pinch hit for by a freshman at the World Series. And I, I don't think I've ever told this story in full, no. but mm -mm. long story short, she, she was a slapper bunter. That was her main thing, but she was a four-time All-American. I mean, she did everything for the university. We're in an elimination game in 2009 at the World Series. ESPN, 8 o'clock at night, 8,000 people in the stands. And she comes up with the bases loaded and Murph pinch hits a freshman in for her. And everyone in the dugout's like, yeah, okay, that makes sense because, you know, this girl can has a potential to hit a double or something where Britney's more of a singles hitter. But everyone in the, the booth for ESPN is like, you're taking out a senior All-American. This, this could have been her last at-bat ever. If we lost that game, that would have been her last at-bat ever. And, he right. just her. and the freshman ends up hitting a grand slam. But one of the coolest things is, you know, Britney comes to the top step of the dugout and is just like pouring her heart out for the freshman. So it was a very, uh, there's a video on YouTube called anatomy of a teammate that just kind of goes into the nitty gritty of that moment. Um, but super cool moment that Brittany got to, you know, full circle, come back and do a voiceover for Murph. That's yeah. Yeah. I, 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 uh, I didn't watch the whole video, mm -hmm. but I did skim through and I wanted to see if, uh, what the, who the vo voiceover mm -hmm. people were. Who it were was a good one. So a lot, a lot of congrats good. on Twitter, which is neat from the softball community for him. Yeah. So congrats to Pat and uh road to 3000 begins now. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> All right, let's get into today's topic, episode 30, Infusing Confidence in Hitters. We have a couple of notes here. Uh, you know what? Do you want to do our listener question first? I was just going to say, yes, let's do it. All right, let's do our listener question first. Okay, this comes to us. Uh, I almost forgot. <laughs> I wrote it down. <laughs> Luckily, I wrote it down. Um, this comes to us from Coach Bear. And uh, Coach Bear writes, hi, my name is Coach Bear. <laughs> first and foremost, your show is outstanding, meaning cross-functionality. Keep up the awesome input. My question, as a coach, when you should step in and tell a parent that they are making the kid uncoachable. Very talented young lady who has a huge upside, but mom believes she knows best, which is pushing her backwards. Mm. Usually it's reverse with dad on the baseball side, but <laughs> in this instance, it's mom with softball. You still I would appreciate yeah, on softball, but. <laughs> I, would, I would appreciate your feedback. Keep up the amazing work. Thank you. And that is from Coach Bear, sent to us via jimbopodcast21 at gmail.com. And a reminder, if you have any questions, you can email us jimbopodcast21 at gmail.com. I'm not going to spell it out. So jimbopodcast21 <laughs> at gmail.com. Thank you, Coach Bear, for the question. What do you got? Uh, yeah, so talk about super challenging. And I don't think there's going to be this one right answer. And this is where you kind of have to put a uh, – my business partner has a uh, performance psychology degree, but in order to get that, you have to get all the, you have to go through all the nitty gritty of like baseline psychology. And so I've leaned on him a lot of times to be like, Hey, here's the situation. What do I do? And, and so one of the first things that you always try to do is you try to put yourself in the other people's shoes. You put themselves in the daughter's shoes, which I'm sure the coach is doing. That's a very easy thing for a coach to do. It's probably why coaches are good coaches. You put yourself in your athlete's shoes and say, okay, this kid must be feeling like this, like so torn, listening to my mom versus listening to my coach, whatever it may be. Um, but then you put yourself in the mom's shoes and you try to wonder why, why does she feel like she needs to assert her information on the daughter? Why does she feel like she's losing a connection with her daughter in other areas of her life? And now it's the only thing she's got left is softball. So it's almost like when you do that, it kind of diffuses, or at least it used to diffuse me as a coach from being like, what's this parent doing? Like, you know, why are you even paying for lessons? Right. Cause that's the normal, that's the knee jerk reaction. Let me get defensive. Why are you even paying for lessons? If you're going to tell their, your kid something else. So sometimes having a situation like that, and then 
that would gauge whether it makes sense to have the kid a part of the conversation or the athlete. And if it, I mean, or just the parent. Um, and if it's just the parent, what I end up doing is sometimes when the athlete is, you know, it's time to clean up balls. I don't, I don't love to leave the athlete alone cleaning up balls, but I'll be like, Hey, give me a second. And I'll go run and I'll just chat with the parent. And I just try to come at it from a very neutral position where it's like, Hey, I want to make sure we're doing everything possible to help out, you know, Susie, whoever, whatever girl's name is. Um, how can, what are you seeing? How can we help? I want to make sure we're speaking the same language so that we're not confusing anybody. And is there anything that you've heard from me that, that is, that is not making sense to you. And I try to come at it from a very, let me ask the question and, and, and not come at it like, Oh, I know better than you, you know, because Mm. no, it's like a parent in most cases, like lives with their kid 24 seven knows something, you know, there is some value in, if you're really trying to help the kid, you're going to try to hear a little bit of what the parent wants to say. But, you know, I'd say most of the time that diffuses a situation and kind of allows an opportunity for conversation to happen and, and disarms the parent a little bit from, you know, having the need to interject his or her opinion. But you are going to have some of the outliers that are just going to turn around and be like, well, why are you having this conversation with me? You're the coach. You should know better. You know, um, have you ever had that? Have you ever experienced that? Um, no, not, not that harshly, but, um, most of the time I can come across, I, I, I pride myself in how knowledgeable I am about this. And most of the time when I have a conversation, I can, it's not, I'm not, I'm not doing anything mean, but I'm just explaining every piece of research and every reason why I'm doing what I'm doing. And I think at that point they go, okay, like you do this for a living. This is not something you're just doing after your normal job. And you know this better than I do. And sometimes through just explaining that education and explaining how much research has updated since maybe the last time they've heard or like, oh, hey, you know, that was such a popular topic. Here's the reason why we've changed the wordage of it. Or here's the reason why I'm implementing it a little differently with your daughter. Um, So I think when you can explain it by really backing yourself with your education and really um, going at it from that direction, it's it it sits them back a little bit and says, okay, like this, you know, you're kind of showcasing what you know. Sure. Um, or, you know, I, I, I've done so many posts on social media and the reason I first started it is because I wanted that to be my online resume as a coach. Mm-hmm. Or if a parent had questions like this, that was a little defensive. I mean, I was 22, 23 and I'd have parents in their forties who were like, well, I used to play baseball. What do you know? You're 22. And I'd send them some of the posts I did. And I said, Hey, just to answer your questions, here's this, this, and this. I want to send a picture of your ring, but okay. I I didn't do that. Or I send them them my thesis, right? Or like, here's the research I've done on this. Let me know if you have any questions. And, you know, nine times out of 10, they were like, okay. Like, and maybe the one person I didn't, you know, hear back from that was just unhappy with something else. But usually when I can showcase the body of work that has gone into that one lesson, I think typically backs off. Now, like... That is, I think, dealing with like the majority of parents, you are going to have outliers. You're always going to have an outlier that's like a little crazy. That is just going to be a little bit more difficult to deal with. And if that's the case, that's that's you don't really necessarily have a suggestion pool to deal with crazy. That's it's going to be really tough. And you have to actually ask yourself when it's time to look at the parent and be like, I don't think this is the best case scenario for your daughter, which is unfortunate, yeah. right? Like, I love working with your daughter, but if if this is going to be the case, this is you know you fire someone as a client, then you got to look at their the eyes. Always look at the eyes. If they crazy have the crazy eyes. eyes. <laughs> there you, go. you know what I'm talking about. Yes. Male and female. Yeah. Yes. Look at crazy the crazy eyes. eyes. For sure. Yeah. So, and again, it's. Male. I always pick them off, by the way, for the record. I can always pick <laughs> off when somebody has crazy eyes. I, I see them. Yep. 
right most away. of the time it's parents having anxiety about not doing enough for their kid they want everything for their kid and they have this anxiety they can't get rid of of that there's something missing they're not doing enough they're not doing enough yeah. so it's usually just needs to be a conversation to help diffuse that a little bit so you mentioned you that you didn't have really too much run into this what is the cra- i'm curious though what is the craziest parent that you've ever kind of run into or at least have seen someone who's on the softball side or baseball mm-hmm. but who who is just out of their mind just think their kid is going to play top division one level softball mm. and they almost project their insecurities on that kid or their la or their fail athletic failure on that kid. And they got, and they had crazy eyes. Yeah. So <laughs> I think extreme example. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I, I have two very, very, very extreme examples, but one is uh, we had set up a parent viewing area where there was mm-hmm. glass where you could watch through like big NHL hockey glasses you could watch through, yeah. but like purposely like in a separate room watching the hitting lesson. It was, it was a safety reason too. Cause you had parents who wanted to be this close to the net sometimes. And you know, we got balls flying around yeah. and uh, every minute he'd be like, bam, 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 banging on the glass being like, really? use your hip. It's like, Oh my gosh. It's like, we're trying to work on something completely different. <laughs> oh, that, that it's like, yeah. it's and like the, was, um, well, it's. I was going to say it's. It's like when you see those parody videos on Instagram of, pa- of people imitating parents, baseball or softball yeah. parents. Uh, like it's. Just, like, it's yeah, that's what it sounds like. And he would sit there and like usually sometimes parents bring a laptop, they bring a book, they bring you know just to keep busy. And he would sit there with just such an anxious. I mean, I don't think he would blink. It was like nonstop staring at every little thing. Um, and then I had a a parent. Um, daughter played basketball and unfortunately doesn't play anymore. She was 13 years old. She hit puberty so much earlier than everybody else. And so she yeah. was just taller, just, you know, bigger than all of her, her classmates. And, um, you know, we were, especially for her, we did like some lunch progressions. This is when I was just working with her as a strength coach. And the the dad came over with the daughter right next to her and he goes, Hey, I saw you doing some lunges and, and squats. And I was like, yeah, we're trying to protect the knee. She grew really fast. We're just trying to find stability. He goes, she doesn't need to get any bigger. Look at her. And uh, she was standing right there. And you could just tell, I was like, oh my gosh. Like he had no idea how much his words were probably affecting her, I guess. You know, it just was a very big miss on a dad-daughter relationship for sure. And uh, that was a, a, that is crazy on a different level, unfortunately, but you know. Now, did they have both of the, both these instances, they have crazy eyes. That's. Uh, definitely, definitely the guy upstairs, the guy upstairs with the banging on the glass. Had those I would say crazy that, eyes. The little that would swirl have been my to it. <laughs> that, that would have been my, my guess. The other guy is probably just an idiot. Probably uh, just so skills. unaware. And it was unfortunate because, you know, at that point, I don't know how, eh, you don't, you can't yell at a parent, but even though you want to, you want to be like, that is the last thing you want to say to your daughter no, or to anybody. You thinking, let's not, let's not you, say it to anybody. <laughs> were you thinking at that point though? Like, Hey, I got to fire this client. Uh, no, actually we, um, I marked that she should be trained in a different room where her parent couldn't see because the strength and conditioning area was a little bit more separated. And so anytime that girl came into the building, the coach would look at her file and it would be that asterisk and they would go do training somewhere else, or they'd go train outside or, you know, whatever it may be. Cause you do at that point, you want to create a safe space for that, that kid. You want to try to, you know, on par with what our topic is like try to reinfuse that confidence again um and because they're it's it's probably not coming from a parent or at least the father 
Great segue. Infus- infusing confidence. Yeah, infusing confidence <laughs> in hitters. Thank you, Bear, for the question. Email us, JimboPodcast21 mm-hmm. at gmail.com. If you anybody does have any questions, we'll answer them here on the show. Uh, confidence resume, hit zones, all the notes here that I have talking to about today's topic, infusing confidence in hitters. I think it all goes back, though, to a way to infuse confidence in your hitters is to make them understand I have an, an approach. That's number mm-hmm. one. Have an approach and have a plan. We always, always talk about that. That could be the base, arguably, could be the base of anybody's hitting and if they're successful or not. Yeah, I think, you know, preparation breeds confidence is such a common phrase that I hear tossed around. And it's interesting, though, because the interpretation of it is very different. Some people will view that and be like, you're right. My preparation comes from all the months and weeks that I worked at practice and the weight room and everything else and and my mental training. And then I step at the plate and And now that's the reason I'm confident. And then for other people, it is the plan and the approach. It's like, well, I've prepared mentally on knowing exactly what I want to crush, exactly how, uh, you know, I'm going to go about my, my at bat. Um, And that's why their confidence is there. Um, And then you have other athletes who I think are lacking confidence, probably for different reasons. They probably have a lot of doubt, anxiety, insecurities in other areas, and they try to almost over-prepare. And they're like, well, I have this plan. I have this approach. Why isn't this working? And they're expecting it to be a light switch. They're expecting to just all of a sudden have this 10 out of 10 confidence all the time. Whereas it's going to, it's going to be like building muscle. It is going to be this gradual build where you're going to find little victories of confidence along the way um, to allow you to get to that point where you do feel consistently or more so at a 10 out of 10. Um, But yeah, having like, you know, imagine having a blindfold and then stepping up to the plate, getting in a box that's the equivalent of not preparing at all for an at-bat, not knowing the speed, not knowing what she looks like, not knowing typically what she throws. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you, you know, even if you're the leadoff batter going up there being like, all right, listen, I'm looking middle, middle. Uh, I'm not trying to hit the, you know, the, the infield is playing really close. I'm not trying to find any, I'm not trying to bunt right now. So let's say they're a lefty and they know I'm looking for something uh, high middle, middle in that zone for my first strike maybe they expanded a little bit for their two strikes. And then once they do have two strikes, they have a completely different approach where they're protecting. Like all of those little things that they could have practiced leading into that at bat would lead to so much more confidence, even if they were blindfolded, let's say going up to the plate. Yeah. It's like that movie with Sandra Bullock in the boat. You see that oh, meme I on? See it. I only saw the previews you, to that. You see, you see the meme though. The, you yes, always see the meme yeah, on like I've Twitter. And, oh, by the way. Yeah. Follow us on Twitter uh, at, Coach um, Cassie RB on Twitter at Coach underscore underscore Cassie RB on mm-hmm. Instagram, and I'm at Jim Tara on both Twitter and Instagram as well. Yeah, so um, let's talk about hit zones. I'm curious about that. What? How does that infuse confidence in hitters? The hit zones? Are we are we talking about um, the hit zones? I'm picturing Ted Williams' book where he had you know each batting average. You know what I'm talking about, yes, right? Yes, 100%. Um, you know, are we are, are we talking about that? Are we talking about knowing what your hot zone on a heat map would be? What do we mean when we talk about hit zones and how it sure. pertains to infusing confidence in hitters? So it's it's kind of a combination. And, and I think I originally got this idea from going to Cooperstown and mm-hmm. seeing Ted Williams' fame. I just thought that was so brilliant. He essentially took a baseball for every part of the strike zone and wrote down what he thought he would hit. Uh, as his batting average, he got pitched there. And uh, I was like, gosh, that's imagine having that awareness as a hitter. So what I started to do is I, I would draw out the strike zone and I called it the strike zone. And I started, you know, writing down um, previous times that I hit a ball that I was really proud of in that spot, let's say. And then I realized I hated that it was called a strike zone because the umpire decides the strike and it's so often dictated by the hit, the pitcher. 
And to be honest, there were plenty of times where like, I thought my personal hit zone was maybe a little lower than what the strike zone was. And there's going to be certain people who prefer outside, let's say, and they actually like a little bit outside, not inside, whatever it may be. So I was like, you know what? I don't like putting the power in umpire or someone else. Let's call it our hit zone. So it's almost like a, I guess it's like numbers on a phone. Maybe it's foot, but essentially one is low and in three, uh, two is low middle, three is low and out. And then four middle in five, right down the middle, six middle out seven is high and in eight high and middle nine high and out. So I so have that. So sorry. I'm, I'm, let's I'm, I'm painting the picture here just so everybody mm-hmm. knows for yep. context purposes. It's this, this is the square strike zone. Yes. Or the so, moderately rectangular one because moder- sorry. Yeah, sure. Sure. We've, yeah. we've, we've, we've discussed how I struggled with shapes on this. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, so you have the, the strike zone. I just call it yeah. the hit zone. This is the hitter. So right, right, right. Yeah. Um, and so what I started doing was, I, you know, I really, really got into it my freshman year in college, but I would like single up the middle on a low and inside pitch off of like a really tough drop ball pitcher. And I was like, that was cool. And I would write that down. And then I started to realize like, you know what, drop ball pitchers, I need to think opposite field middle. Cause if I try to pull it, I'm grounding out. And so like, it made me learn a little bit. And then I was like, dang, I would have never known that had I not done this. So started doing that anytime I was proud of something and practice, whatever it is. And then I, you know, you inevitably go through a slump. You go through a time where you're like, I'm just not feeling good. And you go back to your hits on, you're like, how am I not feeling good? Look at all <laughs> these balls that I've crushed. You know what I mean? It's like this little reminder. Um, but it would also help me at the end of a season realize like, you know what, I'm, I, I must have a cool spot uh, upper high outside because mm-hmm. I have nothing I'm proud of that I've crushed in this area in the last year or so. So it was, you know, I'd go back to it. And then even if it was a single to the left side for me uh, off of a high outside pitch, of course, that was going in my hit zone. Um, and then, you know, as I'm assessing confidence, as I'm assessing myself, it was something I could always go back and reference. And it was, you know, another like it's like a little file of my confidence resume where I got to look and be like, OK, like, look at all these times you've hit really good pitching, really tough pitching, how you hit it. It would help me visualize. So let's say I was having a tough time visualizing successful moments. I'd go back to it. And then all of a sudden I just felt like it was like confidence just pumping through my veins. Like I just watched my own highlight tape and that was exactly what I needed. Yeah. You know, I think that for some people with the, when we talk about the hit zone and we, we talk about the heat maps. And for me personally, if I would have gotten a heat map or a, a hit zone, as it were, that looked a lot more like Ted Williams hit zone, what my batting average was or whatever important, what you deem important statistically in a baseball in each hitting zone. I think for some players visually, that's actually a little bit easier to understand and easier to intake. So you can actually come up with a better approach. And that in turn gives you confidence. It's, I'm just spitballing here, but yeah, I it, think that the simplicity, simplicity part of it with the baseballs and having the batting average rather than just a heat map, I think it's a little bit easier, especially if you're struggling and you're in a slump and you're just trying to figure out something. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, I agree hundred percent. I don't know if it's a spatial recognition thing. Like typically males have better spatial understanding than females. Um, and it's not, I'm not hundred percent sure, but it's like typically on average males are better drivers and parkers and, and all of that. And like typically better hand eye coordination, like on average, that is typically the case, but I don't exactly know why, but it's Mm -hmm. part of the reason why you have these stereotypes that women are bad drivers. It's like, well, they're, for whatever reason, are not as good at directions. Um, so it's funny because I see my guys that I work with that like really resonates with them. It's like, oh, a heat map or a ball right here. Yeah. And I also think my my 
reason why for this, at least, is because my guys are playing baseball video games way more than my girls are. And that's like what you play when you're playing a baseball video game. Great point. You have the, like, that's essentially where, how you're viewing, you know, I'm thinking of Ken Griffey Jr. Slugfest that I used to play. <laughs> yeah, of And course. like you had yeah. some hitters with a huge swing zone and some with a really tiny one. Um, so anyway, that's like, that's like what I was thinking of. But I have some girls who I try to do this with. I haven't, I haven't had a guy yet, but I've had some, some girls who are like, I don't really know where it is when, when I hit it. It's kind of like they, they're that for some reason just doesn't resonate with them. So we, we will figure potentially something else out. But for the most part, this has worked really well for a lot of people, yeah. boys and girls. <laughs> oh, that's a great point you made about the video game though. I, I didn't think, I didn't yeah. think of it that way. I'm just Mr. Simplicity. Look, I write my notes down on a little sheet of paper and what mm-hmm. we're going to run down on a little sheet of paper, <laughs> you know? So I think I would do better with now if the heat, but the heat maps though, see, it's a little bit different from a video game in that those, those heat maps, they were pretty clear cut. If we yeah. even call them that in the video game, they were heat map. They were the heat maps before the heat maps became yeah. a thing. <laughs> now they're a little, the heat maps are a little bit, you can argue a little bit more confusing because there's more colors involved for me personally, again, being simplistic, I'd rather scratch that and just have where my batting average is in each. You can put square in each zone, you know, say zone four, what my batting average is there. I'd rather have that mm-hmm. than have just an all out heat map. And there right. are, I mean, the heat maps are all over the place, but and I guess they all come in different shapes, different sizes, so to speak, mm-hmm. different colors. But I, I just like the simplicity of it. Some hitters have to probably agree with me on that. Some hitters probably say, no, I like it this way, but it, yeah, each its own. Yeah. You know what? Sometimes I'll, I'll do this with a, a team and I'll have them pick out just one spot, like one, one time they're really proud of something and they'll describe it to me. It's like, you know, I have a group of half of them that are working on that. And when they go to hit off a tee, I say, go put that tee exactly where you had, where you hit that ball. And then yeah. they close their eyes, they visualize what the moment was in a game and then they open their eyes and they crush off the tee. And, you know, from an outside perspective, if you're not listening on what's going on, it looks like we're just taking one swing every 30 seconds yeah. but to me that is such a you can go hit off a tee anytime you want you can go take a tee hit into something in your basement anytime you want but to really have someone slow it down for you and make you hyper focus on spots of the zone and and realize like oh this is how i want my body to feel when i'm trying to drive a ball opposite field that is so much more effective i think for them to really start yeah. to feel why they're good and what they're good at well and why you're good what you're good at confidence resumes that's it goes back to the confidence resumes and being able to point back to some of your successes especially mm-hmm. when you need it which by the way that can be hard to do when you're struggling because you're you might you might have some tunnel vision of that time when you're struggling but sure. confidence resume is very very important to go back yeah. to if you are struggling yeah we um we used to do we did this in a couple of different ways but um if you have a team training environment um two like really good confidence boosters for your team is because you're going to have internal confidence, right? How confident am I as, as Cassie? And then how confident am I in my team and being a part of it? Those, those sometimes are separate. So if you have a team, um, we had like a folder of confidence resume stuff, but this would be, you know, you can draw a house on a whiteboard, make it super simple. And you say, okay, I'm building a house based on a foundation of confidence. And everyone gets a sticky note or three sticky notes, whatever it is. And you say, why is this team earned the right to be confident? And they, you know, write something down. Our team has elite speed, but yeah. you put it, you put it down. And then, well, why else? Our coaching staff uh, never stops researching ways for us to get better. Another person. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden you have 15 girls on your team. Each person does two or th- it starts to become contagious and it steamrolls. You're finding all these reasons you deserve to be confident. You can do the same thing internally. Um, and I think what was so shocking and eye opening to our coaching staff and even to ourselves as individuals, my senior year, we were at the time ranked number two in the country. 
someone said, you know, we did an activity where you wrote great things about Cassie at the top. That's what I wrote down on my page. And then we passed it to the person next to us. And the person next to us got to write all these great things. We, I got the one from, you know, from Amanda Locke sitting next to me. I wrote down all these great things about her, why she deserved to be confident, why she's earned the right to be confident, blah, 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 blah. And it feels good. You pass around enough times, you have all these, like, you start to feel really good. Like, man, like, look at, look at how everyone else feels. And then you get your paper back and the, you, you're supposed to flip it over and you say, okay, real quick, real quick, before you, before you finish reading all this, you tell me in your own words, why you have earned the right to be confident in yourself. Go. And, and number two, number two team in the country, we were sitting there like, like it was hard. It was hard for us to do it. And like, this goes back to like, I don't know, guys. It's like whispered down the lane, right? It was, yeah. And it was shocking. I think our coaches were like, you realize you're the number two team in the country, but instead it was so crazy because we focus on our own failures so much more. They're going to rain so much louder in our head. We're going to remember what it feels like way more. It's going to make that lasting imprint on us yet. When we watch someone else's failures, we're constantly telling them like, hey, no big deal. On to the next one. And we're so proud of their successes. But we sometimes forget to be really proud of our own successes, too. Um, so, all you know, it took a little while and it and it but to like really sit through that discomfort of being like, I, Cassie, have earned the right to be confident because and you start writing, you start writing all of a sudden to see it in your own personal handwriting. It was ve- way more empowering than to see anyone else's handwriting. And it's probably teaching a way better point of like, Hey, you shouldn't have to feel validated by anyone else's belief in you. This is your personal belief in you. So again, talk about struggling, not having a tough time visualizing, needing to go back to read something. Whenever your team has a rain out or it's like, instead of just canceling practice, maybe you make everyone hop on a zoom and, and this is what you do instead. Um, Cause I, you know, would you rather have a perfect swing or would you rather get up to the plate with an imperfect swing, but have this badass confidence in that, in that imperfect swing? You know, I, I, I would choose, I would choose B, but our, our mind right. always goes to the negative. Our, our mind is, I think inherent and people don't want to admit this, but I think your mind, anybody's mind, any athlete's mind or number one or any performer, number one, insecure, number two, inher- inherently negative. Yes. Right? When you think I about think it, so. and that, and that's, that's, un- I, I mean, I'm again, not scientifically, maybe it is scientifically proven. I don't know, but I, I didn't do that level of research, but I think the human mind is, is for whatever reason, inherently negative, and that's tougher on performers, tougher on athletes, because then there's that insecurity that's involved as well. And you made a great point there, number two team in the nation, and you can't find much positive from that, right? I mean, that's mm-hmm. kind of mind-blowing to me. But when you factor yeah. in that the mind is inherently negative, it makes more sense. And it was almost at that point, because we were number two, because we were expected to do so well, because we were supposed to win the national championship, we're trying to fight for this. Every failure just seemed so much louder. Every loss was so much bigger. It was, oh my gosh, we just let our town down. Oh my gosh, we just let, you know, whatever, whatever it may be. Um, I don't think any of us realized that it had gotten to us that badly because again, you're, you're constantly like picking someone else up. And then all of a sudden you force yourself to look inward and be like, Okay, shoot, you know, and, and I, I think I've talked about this, but the power of habit, that book where um, mm-hmm. you talked about just how our brain will operate in cycles, right? We operate in habits, whether we like it or not. And negative yeah. self-talk is a choice until it turns into a habit where we kind of can't stop it. It's just our automatic response to something. So, you know, it, if we hear one negative thing about us, it takes three positives to usually negate that one negative. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, it's no wonder that we can't get all these positives and still don't feel anything positive or like a huge boost from it because our own negative self-talk has probably put us in the hole 
so far to even receive anything has been, it's difficult sometimes. Yeah. Well, great episode this week, episode 30, Infusing Confidence in Hitters. And again, if you have any questions, email us jimbopodcast21 at gmail.com. How's the weather there in New York? What are we looking 16 at? 16 degrees this morning. Um, wow. We had a 55 degree week like last week. It was every day was 55, but we are expected okay. eight inches of snow on Monday. This is our first real snowstorm. In New so, York or in like the Northeast? Uh, I, th- I think there's like a big storm coming, but in my area of New York, it's like five to eight inches in like the hour. Okay. Well, people uh, got to get north of the people, city. People have to get to softball strength Academy, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, if not, if not, can't get to us. We have 500 plus drills in a hitting library you can access and be on the lookout in the next month uh, to two months. There'll be a eight hour uh, mental performance co- course being wow. presented. So you have access to that if that is something you and or your team is interested in. And we'll discuss a little bit about that on yeah. upcoming shows. For sure. All right. <laughs> Thanks for listening and subscribing, everybody. Apple, Google, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. And um, watch the show on YouTube, Softball Strength Academy. And we will talk to you, I don't know, next week. I don't know. Will we have a show next week? I'm going out of town. Oh, what do you we'll think? See. Maybe. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. We'll surprise everybody. <laughs> All right. Whenever we, a couple of weeks, whenever. Episode 31 coming up. Thank you for watching and listening. Thank today. you, guys. Take care.